So about a month ago, whenever Pastor Ricky and I were thinking about this moment right here, we knew we needed to bring in someone to help fill the gap because our staff is booked solid. We knew we needed to bring in what we call an intentional interim pastor. And so Ricky reached out to some of his contacts, and he made a phone call to a gentleman by the name of Patrick Martin. Didn't know who he was yet. And he said, Matt, I think this might be a great option for you as an interim pastor. I said, okay. And I put it aside because <laughs> I had work to do. And I came back to it a, a week or two later and I said, you know what? I've got to get going on this. And I kept praying. I said, God, I need, you to, I need you to put the right person here because this congregation means so much to me that to have second best isn't good enough as far as I'm concerned. So God, if, if Patrick was Ricky's number one choice, I know Ricky. And I know Ricky is a man of prayer. And so, God, I need you to be in this, and if you're not, to be very, very clear with me. And so I called Patrick up, and we talked for about a half hour, and I said, oh, my, this might be the guy. <laughs> and so I pulled in um, Pastor Craig and, and Pastor Joe, and, and we sat down and talked with Patrick, and, and we were all like, oh, my, this guy might be the guy. And then Patrick came and, and met with the staff and, and, and just kind of fit in. You know, it was one of those funny things. It was where you're sitting in and you're like, he could have been here all, all along and gotten to know us real quick and it was great. So what I would like for you to do is just give a warm Fort Caroline welcome to Patrick Martin as he's going to be our new interim pastor as he preaches this morning. Can you give him a hand, please? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. Y'all are very kind people. Looking forward to hanging out with y'all. I've got some friends uh, who have, uh, have been a part of this congregation in the past. Uh, Carrie and Cheryl Smallwood, you may know them. Uh, they were actually, uh, when they moved uh, to Clay County, they uh, started attending the church that I was pastoring at the time. And so um, Cheryl, I, I didn't think to tell Cheryl uh, that we were going to be entering into, into an interim uh, pastorate with you guys. And so uh, she found out about it and then messaged me and wondered why I didn't say anything to her. And so uh, she, she is mad, but she will, one thing I've learned, she will get over it. And so... Um, it is a privilege to be with you. Uh, I, I am I'm very excited for what the Lord is doing in your lives. Um, your uh, previous pastor, Ricky, and I, um, were actually we're kind of connected through uh, my father. He and my dad uh, are good friends. And so... Um, and my dad just recently retired from First Baptist Church of Middleburg in Clay County. Y'all ever, ever make it Southwest? Y'all ever go to Clay County? Anybody ever go to Clay County? Do you know where Clay County is? Okay, fine. All right, all right we're going to work on that, okay? I know, I know. Y'all don't cross the river. I totally get it. We didn't either to be with you uh, today. So, you know, this is, this is strange, and I'm glad that Matt uh, went so far as to uh, acknowledge the, um, uh, the elephant in the room, because it is, it is an elephant. I mean, you, you know, this is a different uh, chapter, one that probably y'all were not real thrilled about entering, uh, but, um, but, but here you are, and Okay. 
can you hear me? People online, people online are like, he doesn't say words. His mouth just moves. All right, so, uh, so anyway, so, so like I was saying, for you in the back, my name's Patrick. I'm glad to be here uh, with you guys uh, today. Um, I want to ask just, just a couple things. before. I'm not even in the sermon yet, okay? I'm just introducing myself to you. Hopefully we can get to know each other. Um, but uh, I just... So, all right, so, so let, me, let me just share a couple of things before this mic dies too. Uh, and I want... I mean, really, when they want you to quit, they want you to quit. Um, all right, so... So I want to share a couple things with you just about what this is going to look like, all right? Uh, I, I know that this is the first time in 26 years this church has been in, a, in, in, a, in an interim pastorate. Uh, and so for, many, for some of y'all, uh, Matt was telling me that, that some of uh, the kids that he had when he was in children's ministry are now uh, in this room. Uh, they're adults. And so um, you, you have no idea what it looks like to even be in an interim. And so uh, that's an okay deal because even though you guys, say two months ago, may have had no idea that this was coming, the Lord did. And the beauty of serving a sovereign God is that, is that he can see around the corner when you and I can't. And he is already preparing the way. Did you know that in his sovereignty, he already knows and has chosen the next person to be this, this church's pastor? He knows. And the beauty of that is, is that, that you know, he's not making you play some cosmic game of hide and seek on how to find your next pastor. Uh, it's not just to try to keep you busy while, while, you know, while waiting and things like that. This is a, for you guys, this, and for, for me, because I'm a part of your family for as long as the Lord would have us. Um, this, is, this is an opportunity for us to search the Lord's face together, to lean in in obedience even when it doesn't feel normal. Asking the Lord to do things in his way and in his time for his glory and our good. And so, really, you play a part in this. Now, you, you have some expectations for me as, as your interim pastor. You may not know this, but you, have, you should have expectations for me. Uh, one is that I'm going to preach God's word unashamedly, unequivocally. Uh, I'm not going to interject uh, any of Patrick's gospel into it. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is, that is what we will preach and teach at this church. Uh, secondly, you have expectations for me to help your pastoral staff as they prepare you to receive their, your next pastor. We all have some heart work we need to do, some cardiac work that we need to do, preparing our hearts to receive the next pastor and his family so that when he comes, there's really no, no real, he just fits in seamlessly. That's the beauty of having a gospel-centered vision. The gospel doesn't change, even though the pastor changes. So if you have a great commission vision for this church, and you hire a Great Commission-focused pastor, he'll fit right in. And the other thing that you, your expectation is, me, uh, is of me is that I will love you the way that Pastor Ricky did and the way that your next pastor will. Uh, we want a family. We want to be family with you. And it's just for an interim time. It's just for a finite period of time. My wife, Allie, is sitting over here. She's with me today. We want to be family with you for as long as we will be together. Now, the Lord has expectations of you as well. A couple things. One, and, and it's just really easy. And then we're actually going to get into the sermon, okay? Um, one, there's an expectation that you're going to be present. Stay present. 
In interim times, churches will inevitably bleed a percentage of people. And it's people that, that were tied um, to the pastor. It's like, well, if, you know, if Pastor Ricky's not going to be here, then I'm not going to be here. Uh, and and, and there, there's a temptation to try to go find that next thing. Stay here. If you've committed in membership to Fort Caroline Baptist Church, commit to the Lord to be present in the interim time. Secondly, stay involved. Don't just come and sit on a pew. Too many people do that. That's not what the church is. We've created a really comfortable environment for churches, but comfortability, it's not a word, but I made it up. But, But comfortability has created a certain sense of lethargy in the local church. We were not built to sit in the chairs. We were built to be serving the community and to be glorifying the Lord with our lives. And third, stay faithful. Be, be faithful in, in your time. Being involved in the church, be involved in the mission. Be, be faithful in your giving because the church is still going to go on and ministry is still going to happen. And be faithful in, in not only your gifting of your tithes and offerings, but also in the gifting of your life, the gift, the spiritual gifting that he's given you. Church, we do that. I'll hold up my end if you'll hold up yours, and we will glorify the Lord with everything we have in the time that you and I have together, okay? All right. If you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn to the book of Romans. Uh, when Matt called me and uh, invited me to, uh, to be, uh, to, I guess, to, to be your interim pastor, uh, he, I, I said, sure. I said, um, he said, do you mind if we uh, roll on with the same preaching calendar that we had? I said, yeah, absolutely, as long, long as it's not in Ecclesiastes or Romans. And here we are. <laughs> Nothing like coming in and ter- telling you in the first survey. By the way, if, 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 you, uh, if you have a smart device, you can go to fcbc.life slash notes, and a good portion of my sermon is, is right there for you. Uh, and so uh, you can follow along, take your own notes, email them to yourself. If you're following along online, it's a great way to, to do that as well. We want to welcome our online folks here uh, today. All right, so I've got, I've got a... Okay, we've got just a finite amount of time to do an awful lot, all right? So we're going to, uh, we're going to as we jump into Romans together this morning, I want to give you a little bit of intro, because I don't know what you've done, I don't know what you've learned, and so this is all new to me, just like it's new to you, and so uh, we're going to give you a little bit of, of introduction, all right? First, the book of Romans was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome, all right? That, now, mind you, understand what, what that means, okay? Rome was where Caesar lived. It was where, uh, where the Caesar at this particular time, this uh, letter was written somewhere between 55 and 57 AD. This would put uh, the timing underneath uh, the, 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 uh, the reign of a, of a gentleman, and I use that term very loosely, whose name was Nero. Maybe you've heard of Nero. He was a guy that historians tell us that played the fiddle while Rome burned, okay? This guy was nuts. He was crazier than your craziest uncle, all right? And so, so he, and, and he ruled with an iron fist. You will worship him. You will love him. You will serve no one other but him. And if you didn't, let me tell you how you ended up. He would have these big courtyard parties uh, in his palace. And, and mind you, back then, they didn't have uh, uh, electricity and unbelievably bright lights all right, back in, in that time. And so they used to have to light his courtyard one way or the other. And here's how they would do it. He would take the bodies, uh, actually he would take the still living uh, people uh, who refused to bow down to him as, as the uh, Savior and Lord, and he would impale them on a stick, dip them in tar, and, and put them up and light them on fire like these big tiki torches. 
and people would just come to come to his parties, and and they would come and be a part of it, and they'd look up and go, "Oh man, that's that's, that's Lester. He's burning." You know? Oh well. This guy was nuts. Can you imagine? With all the persecution that we read about in the New Testament, can you imagine living in Caesar's backyard? So Paul writes them a letter, and he writes them this letter uh, hoping that, that they will not only understand what they believe. This is a deeply doctrinal book. This is where we get the vast majority of our New Testament doctrine we get from Paul in the book of Romans. But he doesn't just want you to understand what to believe. He wants you to understand why you should believe it. And more importantly, why you should live it. Because we have, church, we have to get to the place. And right now, you know, we, it, today is a very patriotic day. I don't know if you know what tomorrow is. Tomorrow is the 4th of July. I, am, I told my wife, I said, these socks don't match. I don't care. But church, we, we, have to, we have to step back and, and understand that we live in the greatest country the world has ever known. But even as, as Americans, and look, I am, I am very American. I, 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 I am the gaudy American obstinate traveler who wears American flags everywhere I go, especially when I'm traveling internationally, because I want you to know what country I hail from. But church, even... While America may be our home temporarily, this world is not our home. There is something greater that awaits us, that is better than anything that this world can offer. Let me tell you, after pastoring over the last two and a half years, there has to be something better than this. It's been a tough couple years. Clinging to the gospel and clinging to that which we hold dear is so important in today's day and age. So I want to give you four things that we're going to find uh, in the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to hit on a couple of them today, but I want you to understand these are the big Asians, okay? I think there, there, hopefully there's a slide back, back in the back. It has the big Asians, okay? Um, and, and they are words that, that we see in Scripture that end in A-T-I-O-N, all right? They are the Asians, all right? Not Haitians, they are the Asians, all right? The first is justification, it is literally the idea, Paul writes about this idea that we are literally found not guilty in Jesus. That because of Jesus' great exchange, because he went to Calvary to pay the sin debt that you and I couldn't pay, because of that, God doesn't look at us when he, when he at the moment of judgment, he doesn't look at us and see our sin. He looks at his, he looks at his son, Jesus, and he says, you're not guilty. Secondly, is sanctification. Once you have been justified in Christ, once you've been found not guilty, once you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then the process of being molded into his likeness takes place. That's the continual act. Anytime you see sanctification in Greek, it is a continual action. You were saved at a particular time, but the, but the process of being made to look like Jesus will take the rest of your life here on this earth. Which leads us to glorification, that you will, be, that you will see um, after the process of sanctification is done, when you have been conformed into the likeness of Christ, then you, will, then you will be glorified. Your body will be glorified, and you will be prepared for your eternal state when you worship the Lord Jesus forever in that great biblical choir, walking streets of gold beside the crystal sea. And then finally, the propitiation, that Jesus took our place. See, the problem is, is that the sin debt that we owe can only be 
absolved by, the, by our death, the giving of our life to pay that sin debt and eternal separation from God. But God said, I don't want that to happen. So he offered his son Jesus and Jesus willingly went to Calvary's cross so, and took our place because, because Jesus was able to die our death but not stay dead because he'd come back to life. And he would eventually ascend to heaven where he would be seated at the right hand of his father waiting for his father to say go get your church and so as we dive into romans 3 we're going to look at god's righteousness today we're going to look at how the gospel reveals god's righteousness so let's if you would uh, read with me we're going to start reading uh, in uh, verse 9 we're going to read verses 9 through 26 we're not going to hit on everything today because we have a finite amount of time but let's start reading together. he says what then are, are are we are we jews any better off Well, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to, to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets have or bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his defined forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, two things I want us to look at today. All right, we don't have a lot of time, so we've got to roll together, all right? Two things I want us to look at today. In in terms of this passage, I want to tell you something Dr. Phil or Oprah are not going to tell you. Okay? Something that this text tells you that, that our culture, which wants you to believe that you are a great person and that you have this hidden potential within you. All right, I want to undo everything the self-help Isle of Barnes and Noble uh, wants to try to tell you. Friend, let me tell you, you are not a good person. And you're like, all right, I'm out. I'm done. I'm done with this guy. I always said I would never go to a church where the pastor weighed over 275 pounds. I'm not going to do it, okay? All right, I am done with this guy. He tells me I'm not a good person. Well, actually, you're really not, okay? I mean, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, he says uh, verse 10, he says, no one is righteous. No, not one. You know what that means? That there is nothing you can do to make yourself righteous. There, there's nothing that you, that, that you can do to earn God's favor where God would look at you and go, oh man, you, you know, you know, he, he's just, you know, he's just good. It's a bit harsh. But Paul spends a, a chunk of this passage telling the church they're not good people. Why? Because church, 
in the world we live in, we need to hear it. Our standard of goodness and badness is not the guy next to you or, like, or, or your next door neighbor. Well, you know what? I'm, I may not be so-and-so, but you know, I may not be you know, Joe or Craig or I just said two of your pastor's names. How about that? Um, let's just make <laughs> made it up. Or Matt, okay? But you know, I may not be as good as them, but I'm, I'm, I'm not them. Like, I'm, I'm not Hitler or Mussolini. I just kind of like fall like right in the middle somewhere. When we do that, we create a scale that will allow us to look better than the scriptures tell us that we are because there is a sin nature that lies within us. Our standard of goodness is Christ and his goodness, his beauty, his majesty, his wonder. Because without that, if Christ is not our standard, then we will create a false narrative. Our standard of goodness is not in anything created. It lies within the creator. We see four different things out of this that I think will, will give us a picture. Number one is, is the, the reason for the fact that we're not good people is our lineage. Look at, at what he says um, uh, in, in verse 9. He says, are the Jews privileged? He says, uh, yeah. He, he, he said, they are, they are God's people, right? Paul says, we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks, they're all under sin. So it turns out that, that everything the Jews have been told about being God's chosen people, that when it comes right down to it, they're not as good as the Greeks were. And the Greeks were not as good as the Jews were. That because of sin, that now the ground at the foot of the cross is level. So now it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've hurt. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed. Those things, church, don't matter anymore because it doesn't, it doesn't matter if, if you have done what we, if you've murdered somebody or you've run a red light or cheated on your taxes. Church, James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, would tell the church that if anyone keeps the entire law that yet stumbles at one point of it, is guilty of breaking the whole law. Let me tell you, are you a sinner in the room? Yeah. Even the smallest sin will send us to hell had God not intervened. Our lineage proves that we are not good people, but God seeks out sinners, even when sinners don't seek him. C.S. Lewis once said that amiable agnostics will talk cheerfully about man's search for God. He said to me, as I then was, they, made it, they might as well have talked about the mouse's search for the cat. Church, when you're lost, you don't know to seek God until he extends his hand of grace and invites you to, to be party to his wonder and majesty. God sees the bad, yet he still loves us. But also, we see it's, we're not good because of our language. Paul is going to move into this phase of showing how our, how our speech reveals who we are. Look at verse 13. He says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under the, literally snakes is under their lips. Church, let me tell you, our speech, our language will belie that which resides within our hearts. God has called us to live a life that is above that. And the problem is, church, social media, oh, you know where I'm going. Social media is an extension of our tongues. 
There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram in Paul's day. So he's talking about, about the things that you say. But church, the things that you type either bring glory to God or they, just, or they take glory from him. Paul calls us to live a life. This is a spiritual battle. And if we, if you do battle against the flesh and blood, against brothers and sisters in Christ, Satan has exactly what he wants, a divided church. Frank, can I tell you, Satan wants in this church. He wants to discredit you. He wants to distract you. He wants to demean you. He wants to, to pull you from the vision of knowing that the spiritually lost all around us and in Jacksonville, Florida and beyond can know the beauty and the majesty of Christ. And he's gonna get in through unresolved conflict and harsh words towards our brother and sister. We also see in verses 15 through 18, we see that we're not good because of our lives. Look at verse 15. He says, their feet are swift to shed blood, whether it's murder, whether it's abortion, whether it's malice against a friend. It goes back to Genesis, all the way back to Cain and Abel. Satan leads us down paths of righteousness because he know we'll go. Can I, can I, can I, can I just give you something that you may be able to take with you? Sin is fun. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? You're a, you're a man of God. You know why I know? Because I've done it. Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. And Satan knows the carrot that he can dangle in front of us that will lead us away from God. But church, as an act of worship and obedience, when we follow the Lord's commands, we are, we are, are submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Christ and taking ourselves away from the life that Satan wants us to live apart from God. So what do we do about it? Look at verse 18. He says, he says there is no fear of God before their eyes. Church, how do we fix this? We fix it by fearing God again, having a healthy, reverential fear of God, that he is the God of all creation, that turned Lot's wife into a pillar of salt, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, was the one who threw fire down off Mount Carmel when, when Elijah called for it. That's the same God who looks at our steps and our missteps and shows us mercy and grace. But he is to be respected, to be revered. He is the sovereign God of all creation. Finally, we see our lot in life. Paul brings the argument that began in chapter one to a close, he, and he concludes with, with, what does this mean for us? What well, means that we're guilty? It means that we're not capable, that every unbeliever, whether Jew or Gentile, is under God's law, and we are all accountable to him. Look at verse 19, look at the response of the people. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under it, so that every mouth might be Stop. Church, let me tell you, no one is absolved. Everyone is accountable. We are guilty and we are all in need of a savior in Jesus Christ. So what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to show us our unrighteousness. It is the purpose 
It's his purpose. To, to, the law was created to show Israel that they were not capable of earning their way into heaven. Nothing good that we do can earn God's favor. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there is nothing you have done that can make God love you less. It is only through salvation by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, can a man be saved. You were born into sin, friend, and without Jesus, you will die in it. So you're not a good person. Thank goodness the Lord is. That's the tough news, right? You're not a good person. But the better and even the best news is that thanks to Jesus, you don't have to be perfect or even good to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you say, Pastor, how is, how is that possible? The standard of, of heaven is perfection. You're right, and we won't ever get there. But that's why we're justified in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. He says, but now. Two of the greatest words in all of Scripture. But now. Knowing all of that, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, church, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But what, what does that look like for us? Well, I, and this is where we, we get into the really, the, the deep part of scripture. How many of y'all like, uh, uh, y'all ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse, a churrascaria? Uh, going, amen, right? You're, you're Baptist, you get it, okay? I love it. You, you know why I love it? Because they have a salad bar that you never go to. You don't go to a Brazilian steakhouse for, for, for the, the salad bar. My mom does, but that's okay. I love you, mom. All right? You go for what? The meats. You go for the meats. That's what you want. And they bring you. We have a, a picture, I think, of, of uh, the, the disc that they give you. When you sit down at the table, they, they give you this disc. And it's, it's red or green. Okay? And on one side is red. On the other side, if I go to Chow Happens to be my favorite. Okay? It's at the town center. It's fantastic. All right? And, and when you go, they, they tell you when you're ready to start receiving uh, meat, just turn that, that side over from red to green. And as long as the light's green, they're going to keep bringing it sirloin, uh, uh, pork, chicken. Um, they bring you uh, steaks of all kinds, prime rib, sausage. Oh, sausage. Oh, it's so good. I love, I could do a whole sermon on how much I love Brazilian steakhouses. Church, what Paul is going to do, starting in chapter three, is he flips that card from red to green, and you are going to get some of the meatiest doctrine in all of scripture. As he shows you what justification and propitiation look like. Church, we have to get to the point where we see salvation and the Christian life as a whole, not filtered through our goodness or badness, but through his righteousness. And so this is one of the most important themes in, in all of scripture. The Greek root behind righteousness and justification, you see it all throughout Romans. It dominates this passage. In verse 21, Paul's gonna say the righteousness of God will be revealed in the person of Jesus. But in verses 25 and six, he's gonna go on to say that it's the cross that shows God's righteous character. For the character of God is righteousness and our salvation 
is about is not about what we can do, but about being declared righteousness, righteous in front of God through the person of Jesus Christ who stands in our place. You've been justified in Christ, but finally we see his propitiation. Paul's gonna continue by telling us that salvation was paid for by, by his sacrifice. Look at verse 25. He says, whom God, that there's redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation. You know what that, we've already talked about it. You know what that word is? It's a big exchange. God exchanged that one moment in temporal history when Jesus was hanging on the cross, all the sins of the past and all of the sins that would be committed or were going to be committed to Jesus and put on his shoulders in that one place, so much so that he made the Father sick and, he, and, and, and God the Father, for the first time in, in his, his history, turns his back on his son Jesus because he can't stand to look at the ugliness of sin that was around him. But God offered him, and Jesus was faithful to go to the cross on our behalf. God has righteous anger with us because of our sin. And his wrath must be appeased or satisfied. Church, if someone doesn't take the punishment, then we are still under wrath. And so God offers Jesus in our place. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. He says he is the propitiation of our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become in him the righteousness of God. Church, you can't sit on this knowledge. You gotta do something with it. You gotta go tell a lost world that Jesus loves them and that he died for them. That's the purpose. That's why we're here. That's why we're not sitting in heaven because there's still people on this earth that don't know him. They need to know him. And so in this interim time, let's commit to act on it for his glory and for our good. Church, don't waste your life. If you don't know Jesus, Trusting him today, asking him to forgive you of the dumb stuff you've done will save your soul for all of eternity. Don't wait to make that decision. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and Pastor Matt will be back in the next steps area. You can go back there and ask him about what it means to be a Christian. I'll be standing down front. I would love to talk with you. If you are a Christian, live like it. Don't give an unbelieving world further reason to not believe in Jesus. Let's commit together, church, in this interim time, let's commit together to worship the Lord Jesus for all that he is because all that he is is enough for you and for me. Let's pray, and then we're gonna close things out today. Father, we love you, and we honor you. God, as we prepare to walk out these doors and walk into the mission field today, Father, may we be mindful that it is through the gospel, that we see your righteousness in the justification of our sins, through the propitiation of the exchange that you made with us. God, that you might be glorified. Father, as we leave this place today, may we go with the knowledge that you are enough. We pray these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here today. Be blessed as you go.